Welcome to SaltCast. Uh, my name is Bob Turner and I serve as the director of the Sunset Academy of Leadership Training, better known as SALT. And once again, we are with our special guest, Phil Sanders, who is with the Search for the Lord's Way program. Um, and I wanted to tell folks that I really encourage you to go back and listen to uh, the previous week's uh, SALT cast. We talked a lot about Phil's journey and getting to this point with the uh, Search program and uh, a lot of information there. I want to remind everyone to visit their website at searchtv.org and there are uh, a lot of resources there and a lot of things that will be helpful to you uh, in your journey with the Lord. Uh, but as I've mentioned in talking with Phil, I'd like to know and like, like for you to share some of the great influences in your life that have helped you in your journey in ministry. I, I know you've been involved in ministry for about 50 years, and I know it takes a lot of people to influence a person and help guide them, uh, both in good and bad ways, things that we learn that are helpful, things that we learn to, to avoid. And uh, so if just leaders that have been influential in your life to help you in this journey. In, in my very, very early life, in my teenage years, that's, I decided I wanted to preach when I was 15. And uh, there was a preacher from Sunset named Stephen, Steve Bracken who influenced me. He was holding a gospel meeting, and he preached the firmness, with the firmness and tenderness of the gospel. And he, he, his phrase frequently was, keep smiling. But he had such a, a wonderful spirit about him in those days that I thought, you know, that's what I want to do in life is I want to preach. And some of the men of that congregation, uh, especially a man named J.D. Fredman, uh, gave me a great opportunity to start speaking, even in high school on Wednesday nights. Wow. And uh, other opportunities began to open up to me. Um, I spent a year out of high school before I went to college. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to preach, but I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And I was just kind of stumbling around working, you know, minimum wage jobs. What can you get at 18? And so uh, uh, I went on a campaign. I went on a campaign knocking doors up in, uh, up in Colorado that year and um, decided, well, I, I want to preach. And so that fall, uh, I decided I was going to go to Oklahoma Christian. And uh, a lady gave me $100 to buy sweaters. Uh, I used that $100 to make a down payment for my tuition at Oklahoma Christian. She never knew that until I graduated. And um, that was just enough to get me in because, see, I didn't have a scholarship. Right. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I just wanted to go to school. Well, my first semester was, I made a 4.0 my first semester. I was there to be a student. Sure. And uh, my parents gave me $5 a week for spending money. And uh, that's what they contributed to my education. But through a long series of this and that and kind people and, and opportunities, because I showed I could be a good student, uh, I was given scholarships and all kinds of things for the next semester. And when I learned about the FAFSA form and how to do things, then right. things were much easier. <laughs> but uh, I went all the way through the school and I graduated uh, summa cum laude and, and God was mighty good to me and, and opened up those doors. It was during that time that I had the influences from people like Raymond Kelsey, Hugo McCord, and Bill Jones, who was a great influence in my life, but he was not as well known as Brother Kelsey or Brother McCord. Um, these were men who were very well balanced. They didn't always agree with each other, mm. but they loved each other and they 
loved the Lord, and they were great, great examples. Uh, when I was young, I, I began watching various people, and as time went by, Mac Lyon was my preacher for a long time. Who, who's your preacher as a preacher? Well, mm. Mac Lyon was mine, and right. uh, not only that, he was my friend. But there were other people. Uh, Cecil May, as time went by, I got to meet him when I was in Mississippi. He and I actually graduated together at Harding Grad School. He was getting his MA and I was getting my MAR, and we sat across the table from each other with our caps and gowns on and all of that. And uh, uh, anyway, Cecil May was a dear friend of mine and somebody I watched because of two or three things. Jimmy Jividen was another one. Right. These were men, Howard Norton would be one. These were men who were balanced. These were men who loved souls. These were men who were scholars. And these were men who, who made a difference in other people's lives. These are the people. I always looked for a group of men that I thought of as my heroes. Men that I had respect for and men who knew the truth, and yet they did not go to the right or go to the left. These were the group of men, and I never wanted just one. I wanted a group of men that were standing together that I could follow right. to know which was the right way to go. And that's how I've tried to lead a lot of my life as far as those influences that were on me. Uh, I had many peers who were great influences. Uh, Harold Red in, in Memphis uh, was a great influence. Uh, Dale Hartman in Oklahoma City was a great influence. He, he happens to be my brother-in-law, and Harold was the best man at my wedding. <laughs> and, and other people through the years that have been that. In more recent years, uh, my best friend is Greg Tidwell, the editor of The Gospel Advocate. He and I have been very, very close. Uh, David Decker, the director of the Georgia School of Preaching, he and I have been close. Another fellow who lives in Warner Robins, not well known, but uh, in the Brotherhood, but a wonderful man, uh, Dave Domingue, uh, Domingue uh, has been a really great friend. All of these men have great, been great influences in my life. Uh, James Andrews of uh, Publishing Designs, and I have been close. Uh, people that I've worked with, uh, I've been close to them. But I've had many, many friends through the years who were tremendous assets in my life and without whose guidance and without whose counseling, I would never be where I am. Sure. And uh, uh, my teachers, some of my teachers at Harding Grads, good Phil Slate and Jack Lewis also were right. people that I respected very highly. Sure. And others. Well, in that journey and these individuals, obviously that had that influence in your life, I know you've recognized and seen the changes that have taken place over the last 50 years. And describe, if you would, maybe some of the changes you've seen, especially in realms of leadership within the church from those early years of your ministry to where we are today in the church. I think one of the big problems that we've had is that in our education processes, and see, we have two different processes. We have our schools of preaching and we have right. our universities. These are the ones who are training our leaders. Unfortunately, many of the leaders in our colleges, uh, the majority of them are training either youth ministers or they're training academics right. who want to teach in college or missionaries or something, but very few preachers are being trained by our universities right now. Very few. And because of that, uh, we have a situation where preaching and evangelism has not been as highly 
uh, emphasized as it needs to be. Right. And that, that bothers me. Now, some of our schools are preaching, produce a lot of preachers, but in some cases, they're not as good academically. So where we've got to, to do things, and um, uh, you were talking about being part of the graduate program here at Sunset, is you've got to have men who not only have a heart and a passion for soul winning, you also have to have men who are wise enough and smart enough to know the text well yes, so that they can do that. And finding and building men who are able to do that to me is, is a, great, a great challenge. Shaping and molding a man to have all of the characteristics that he needs to be a great leader starts from his youth and uh, demands the most of them. And, and I'm thankful for our schools of preaching. Uh, I have spoken at most of the schools of preaching in the United States. Uh, not all of them, but most of them at one time or another. And I love schools of preaching. I'm very much an advocate of them and have been for a long time. When you have universities, the leadership of the university many times is led by men who, who are good men, but they have a different, you know, universities are business. Right. The work of training a man to preach and to be a leader in the church ought to be the work of the church. And schools of preaching are led by elders. They're led by men who are, are that way. Our universities started out one way, and as they have time has passed, they have evolved into something else. Now, I'm, I'm being very general speaking. Sure. I'm not trying to be. Uh, the university is supposed to be a servant of the church. And when they began, they were good servants. Mm -hmm. But as time went by, they became more academic and more sold into some of the philosophies and thinking of the world so that they got away from the scriptures and began to adapt more to the culture in order to gain students and other reasons. I, I don't want right. to completely put them down, but at, at, at the same time, if a servant is no longer doing what you ask it to do, you no longer want that servant. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've watched some of our universities uh, become uh, unworthy servants. Right. And uh, uh, as an education institution, they may be academically qualified by SACS, but are they still a real Christian school? Sure. And that's the question that you have to ask. And in some cases, many of our schools have so sold out to popular thinking that they're no longer what uh, they used to be. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard statistics as high as 65% of congregations across this country uh, have no elders. And the remaining 35%, I, I visited with Roy Johnson with Last Leaders. We were talking about leadership, and he, he said generally the congregations that do have elders, about 50% of them only have two, uh, of which they're either an illness or a death away from having no elders. And I believe I've I either read or heard you make a statement that since 2006, there's something like 85 congregations a year closing their doors or something of that nature. It's pretty high. Yeah, I, I was looking at the 2006 directory and the 2018 directory and looking at, at numbers. And uh, we're losing about 80 churches a year. Okay. And we're losing 16,000 members a year. That's a bunch. That's a bunch. And uh, now... 
we are actually declining at a slower rate than most of the Christian religious groups are. Right. Uh, I was reading uh, one poll that came out just recently in 2009. We had 77% of the people in the United States claim to be Christians. Today, that number is 66%. So there is a general decline in, in Christian groups all across. And, you know, everybody's noticed what's happened with United Methodist Church. And I thought, well, they're going to have to call them something other than United because they can't decide what their morals are. Right. And, and uh, the homosexual issue has, has divided them. And uh, uh, the Babylon V had this one satirical little cartoon that says, well, they divided over whether or not they're going to be Christians. Well, from the standpoint of whether or not you're going to live according to God's law or whether you're going to adapt to culture, that's very much true, what, they, what their decision is. But you see, we're, we're facing some of the same kinds of problems. The problem with the, the women's issue, uh, whether or not we're going to let women do that. And there was one influential church over in Searcy, Arkansas that recently announced that they were going to allow uh, women to read scripture and to say prayers and to do other things along that line. Uh, and uh, the reasons that they are going to allow that are one of the reasons and was the culture. And I thought to myself, well, they have missed the point in scripture. We're supposed to be salt and light and influence the culture. Right. Instead of the culture being the salt and light influencing us. And so um, in, in the book I wrote a number of years ago called A Faith Built on Sand, I deal with this quite at length about Paul never went into the culture to let the culture influence the church. He went into a culture to change the culture. And that's what the gospel is to do, is to change the world to be like Christ, not the other way around. Exactly. And so um, those are the kinds of problems that I'm, I'm seeing. But... Uh, uh, the postmodern mindset that I wrote about in my book Adrift, in, which was written actually uh, in 1998, not published till 2000, so it's now 20 years old, and it's still selling. It's still relevant. <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, it, it, which surprised us. We thought it might have a five-year shelf life. Well, that was the first book I read of yours, and it, I was super impressed with the relevancy of the material in that book to the culture well, that we're you. facing. It, it was a about a two year. Um, it was a two year research, and uh, uh, it took me eight months to write the book. Uh, my favorite chapter of the book is the last one. The answer to postmodern thinking is faith, hope, and love. Mm. And uh, it took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> it did. I, that was the hardest chapter of the book to write, and yet I wrote it in one day. Huh. Uh, but it was very hard to to, sure. to to decide what I wanted to do. But once I came to that conclusion, I want to talk about building faith, giving hope, stirring love, those three things. And that's eminently biblical. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so, um, but the, the postmodern mindset, uh, uh, the first book I wrote that people began to notice was the book on, on silence, uh, where I talked about why we don't use instruments of music. And, uh, that book really was the one that helped me to do a lot of different things in my life uh, because I talked about how we can't go beyond what God's Word says. And I showed this in the Old Testament and I showed how that Jesus actually lived by that. He did not speak on His own initiative. He did not act on His own initiative. The Gospel of John makes that very clear. The Holy Spirit, John 16, would not act. 
speak on his own initiative. Well, if Jesus wouldn't speak on his own initiative, John 12, 49 and 50, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't speak on his own initiative, John 16, 12 and 13, how dare we think that we have the right to speak on our own initiative and God's supposed to accept it. But the postmodern mindset is so different from that. And what we have to do is to train leaders who have such faith and confidence in the Word of God that it is always right, always correct, always the way that we should go. And when they have that kind of confidence and knowledge and they know how to apply the Scriptures and to work with them, then that helps. You talked about the, the problem of a lack of leadership and, and the problem of it is is that so many of our churches have become vulnerable. Yes. Uh, I was in a discussion last night and, and I've written about this a time or two in the spiritual sword. What happens in vulnerability? Well, a preacher is hired. He's a good man. He loves people. Everybody loves him. He never preaches error, but he never preaches against error. Mm. And he's there for a long time because everybody likes him. But over a 10-year period, because he's never preached against instrumental music, somebody comes along and says, we ought to have it. And nobody knows how to say, no, we don't. Uh, our girls ought to lead, and nobody knows how to say, no, they shouldn't. And that vulnerability allows the wolf to come in, right? not sparing the flock, perverting the teaching, and leading souls away. So we've got about 40% of our people who are being led away into the progressive movement. We're going to lose about 40% of our people. And many of them are already gone. Right. Uh, there are a lot of communities where there's no fellowship between the churches in that community in that area because you've got one church that's going to be different than everybody else. Right. And there's been somebody who's a wolf who's come in, who's taught them a bunch of progressive ideas, and so the fellowship is broken. Uh, and it's because we've, we've had this period of vulnerability that we're not raising up elders who are wise shepherds. Many churches do no longer call their elders elders. They call them shepherds. Right. That's not necessarily wrong. Certainly they are shepherds. But a part of their work is to be overseers and to guard the flock. And their job is to keep souls saved to win souls and keep souls saved. That's right. To win them back when they fall and to keep the ones who are there right with God. It's all about souls when you talk about shepherds. And shepherd is not a bad word. But there is the word elder and there is the word bishop that is used or overseer that are important. And I think, I think one of the things that we've failed to do is to train these people. Roy is certainly in a much better uh position, and he visits as many churches as I do. Uh, I don't know of anybody who visits yeah. any more churches than George Johnson. And he looks at these churches and talks with elders all the time, just as I do. Um, where you don't have elders, you have lots and lots of problems that the preacher has to solve. And sometimes he has a good friend to help him, and sometimes he doesn't. But you have vulnerability, and you have situations that really, really hurt. Yeah. And um, uh, when you've got a whole congregation running its own businesses, business, a lot of times you have people who are really not qualified to be Absolutely. speaking up in those business meetings, and, yeah. and uh, that can hurt. Yeah. But I don't, I don't doubt uh, uh, the average size of a congregation has shrunk from, it used to be 95, 96, somewhere in that the average size. Now it's shrunk down to 
in the 60s. And uh, a lot of our 25-member congregations are going out. We get those letters right. every month of churches, uh, once, once every month or so, uh, of churches closing or a church getting too small to support us anymore. And so uh, we're always looking for support because of that. And other nonprofits and other people who are missionaries, we're all in the same boat. Sure. And um, uh, those are the challenges we face. Yeah. Well, I tell you, time goes by real quick. <laughs> yes. Uh, I could spend all day, uh, but thank you. I appreciate you taking time to uh, to visit with us and to share some great thoughts in regards to the church and leadership and appreciate the work that you do with uh, you. the Search for the Lord's Way program. And again, just want to remind everyone that they can go to searchtv.org right. and that they can get resources there that would be beneficial to them and as well to consider how they might be able to support the work that you do because it is a great work. Yes, it is. Work, and we appreciate the fact that you're involved in that. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for inviting me to come be with you. You bet. Again, this is SaltCast, and I'm Bob Turner with the Sunset Academy of Leadership Training, and we thank you for joining us and ask that you continue to tune in. We'll have more in the weeks to follow.